We're celebrating our first Sunday uh, this morning uh, of 2018, and regardless of what kind of year you had in 2017, we're entering a new year, and some of us are probably re- very excited about that, amen? And so uh, maybe you're here today and you're very excited about uh, a new year, because last year was was not the best, uh, most stellar year that you could have had, and, and so I, I'm praying that you have a better year this year, or maybe maybe you had the greatest year that you've ever had last year, and, and I just don't know what to tell you about that. Uh, it, only one way but down, right? No, I'm hoping it can even, even get better, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, New Year's bring uh, a new change a lot of times for us, and, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a special time of the year because it's the time of the year when we can kind of look forward with great expectation and, and just hoping everything's going to uh, uh, just go well. And so uh, I'm praying for that for you. Uh, this morning we're kicking off a new series called Upside Down, and I want to spend a little bit of time explaining what this title uh, of this series really means, uh, Upside Down. Uh, and let me, let me just explain to you why we're calling it that. Uh, we just finished a series coming off of Christmas where we're talking about the arrival of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We talk about the birth of Christ. We do that every Christmas because that's what we are celebrating. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And so uh, we talk a little bit during that time about, you know, the purpose in Him coming. We don't just camp out on the fact that He was born uh, during Christmas season, but, but He came for a specific purpose. Well, in this series, we want to take that and just really dig into that, dig a little bit deeper into that. We want to try to understand what it is, the reasons why Jesus came to this world. And in essence, what we begin to realize as we study through the Scriptures, as we look uh, through God's Word, and and really begin to study God's Word uh, concerning the life of Jesus, we find out, we come to realize that Jesus came to this earth to really change everything. We were just singing about that just a few moments ago. Jesus, you change everything. And I hope that for all of us here today, we believe that. We believe that Jesus truly and, and indeed does change everything. But when we look at the Scripture, we begin to see that Jesus came to this earth, and when he came to this earth, he really just flipped it upside down. I mean, he changed a lot of things. His, the, the things that he was preaching were just so much radically different than what the, the cultural worldview of his time was teaching and 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 when he came and he taught truth he was contrasting really uh, uh, something that was totally opposite than a, a biblical worldview it was more of a worldly worldview and so Jesus came and and he began to radically teach a lot of things that that are that are really uh, contrary to popular ver- belief and so our prayer in this series and this is an eight week series it's going to take us all the way through uh, the end of February as we uh, look each week at a different passage and, and how Jesus just radically changed everything. He transformed everything. And our prayer is this, is that by the end of this series, that God would have used this series to radically change our hearts and our minds as followers of Christ Jesus. Or maybe if you're not a follower of Christ Jesus, maybe you'll come to an understanding that's what you need in your life and you would respond to what Christ is wanting to do in your life. And so that's our prayer for this series. We want to pray this morning and kind of kick things off. Then we're going to dive into God's Word together. So join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for your presence in this place, and indeed this is holy ground. Father, this is a place where your people, your children have gathered together, where 
disciples who have been unified through Christ Jesus have come together to, to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, as we gather here today seeking to glorify you, seeking to bring honor and glory to your name and to offer up our praises to you, Father, we know, we know that your presence is here with us. And God, we welcome you in this place. And God, our desire is that as we dive into your word this morning, as we continue to study the scriptures together, that Father, you would do something radically amazing in our life. God, that you would, you would impact our lives in ways that maybe we didn't expect this morning when we walked into this place. And Father, I pray for each and every person that's here today, God, that we would have ears to hear. God, that we would, our minds would be free from every distraction that, that may exist, God, as we seek to explore your word together. God, we love you so much, and we praise you, and we thank you for all that you are, all that you are to us, all that you are to this world. And God, we pray that you would just do mighty and glorious things in our presence today. Lord, we love you so much, and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, these days there's a lot of talk about transformation, about life transformation. Uh, we, we hear that a lot, especially in the life of the church. If you're ever talking about Jesus, you really can't talk about Jesus without uh, sharing a little bit about the, the fact that he radically changes lives. He transforms lives. If we look in the scripture, we see where, where uh, over and over and over, we see people's testimonies. We see people's lives, the stories being told of how their life was transformed by the presence of Jesus in their life. We talk about it in the hallways and in our ministries and different places where we talk about the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And I think on, on some level, we're all seeking transformation of life. We're all seeking for uh, change to come in our life. Maybe we're battling this or that or, or, or our minds are in a place where we, we don't want to be. And so we, we, we seek life change. And, and, and what we come to realize is that with all this talk of transformation in, in our world today, we also realize that there are a lot of superficial options out there for life change. A lot of people look outward for things to change their, their life. Uh, people will go and they'll buy a whole new wardrobe just to maybe bring change into their life, or they'll, they'll begin to focus on a, a new cosmetic, or maybe they'll change their jobs, or uh, a lot of different things that people look to to try to find change. But what we see as we look into Scripture that that real true life transformation doesn't come from these outward things. And in fact, as we begin to really dive into God's Word and really explore what life has to offer, we begin to realize that it doesn't even come inwardly. Uh, but we do desire change. We, we do, there's just something within us that, that desires this transformation. It's, it's part of our nature, if you will. I love what 1 Corinthians uh, 6 says where the Apostle Paul's writing and he says in verse 9 through 11, he says this and it talks about this life change. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. But, but here we see this passage where he sort of presents this, this verse where he presents this to the Corinthian church and he says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexual, uh, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then there's verse 11. 
And this comes following this statement that Paul has just made. And he says here in verse 11, and he says, and such were some of you. And so what he does here is he lays this thing out and he says, he says, unrighteous people will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Unrighteous people, people living in their sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he says to them, as were some of you. And that's a powerful transitional statement that he makes there as he sort of presents this. He says, this is who you used to be. But in verse 11, he continues and he says, but, and don't you love that word there when you're talking about these things? He says, but, he says, even though you used to be these things, your, your life has been changed. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so what we see here is that Paul is writing to them, and he says, uh, some of you were, were these people, but you are no longer those people because your life has been transformed by the power and the presence of Christ Jesus now in your life. And so he, he presents this to us. We, we see this truth in God's Word, and, and, uh, and many of us could probably sit here and, and think of, uh, you know, things that we used to be, that we're no longer those people because of what Christ has done in our life. And so Christianity is all about transformation, but we can't change ourselves. And so where does that leave us? It leads us looking toward someone else. And for those of us who are believers in Christ Jesus here today, we know that that someone else is Jesus. Amen? And so we know that that someone else is Jesus. We know that Jesus is the author of life transformation. If we're going to be truly, radically transformed from who we used to be in our deadness to someone who we are now in, in life, eternal life, then it's going to take Christ Jesus' intervention in our life, right? And so we, we come to understand that. Uh, let me invite you to go ahead and turn this morning to Acts chapter 9. This is where we're going to camp out today as we dive into the Word of God, but Acts chapter 9, uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different than what I normally do. I'm going to read a very lengthy passage, but I want to share a story with you this morning. I want to share more than just a, a verse where we sort of dive in there and we, we break that verse down. I want us to, to, to look at a story, and, and it's a story I think that is going to be uh, really fascinating to us here this morning. It never gets old with me. And, uh, and so I want us to look at this story that is found here in Acts chapter 9. It's a story of miraculous transformation. I can't say it any other way than that, just miraculous transformation. It's the story of a man named Saul. Now, some of you know this man, but you know him as Paul or the Apostle Paul. But before he was called Paul, he was formally called Saul. And this guy, Saul, was a very bad guy. He was a guy who who was very much a Christ hater. He was, uh, he was a Christ follower hater. He didn't like Christians. He didn't like the movement of God that was taking place centered around Jesus. He didn't like that. He didn't like the fact that they were coming out and preaching the gospel or the good news of Jesus and, uh, because he didn't see it as truth. He saw it as, as blasphemy is what he saw it as. And so as he was hearing all these things, bitterness and hatred began to build in his heart. And this guy named Saul, uh, we, we, we study and we look into the life of Saul, we realize he was just a very, very bad guy. He was the worst of the worst. And so uh, as we look at this, we, we see in this story miraculous life change or transformation that takes place 
in his life. Now, I want to I just say this to you this morning. If you're here this morning, and for some reason, some, some reason or another, you feel as though God doesn't love you anymore. If you're in a place in your life where you've sort of reached the lowest of lows and you're, you're beginning to wonder if God even loves you or even knows about you, let me just say this story is for you here this morning, okay? First of all, that's a lie that, that God doesn't love you. He, he does love you and he desires for you to love him. But if that's where you're at this morning, if that's what you're thinking, then this story is for you. And maybe you're here today and, and, and you know as you, as you think about the sin in your life, you become overwhelmed with the sin in your life. And as you think about all the sin in your life, the sin is so great in your life that you have come to this belief that, that if God would even want to save you, he probably doesn't have any reason to save you because you're such a bad person, at least in your own eyes. And so if that's where you find yourself, if you feel as though God doesn't want to save you because of the sin that's deeply rooted in your life, then this story is for you. If you're here today, if you're here today, and either of these things apply. If you're here today and you're thinking about any of this stuff, if you're thinking about this, this, uh, this untruth that your past is so disgusting that God wouldn't want anything to do with you, much less have a purpose for you or a plan for your life, then this story that we're going to be looking at here today is for you. And I know this because I speak from, from this on experience. There have been times in my life where I felt as though God didn't love me. There have been times in my life where I felt that the sin in my life was so grand that God might not could even cover all the sin in my life. I, I had those thoughts in my life, and there were times in my life where there was such a past that I grieved over, a past that I was, I was just disgusted by, a past that as I look back in my life, I thought God would, couldn't possibly have any special plans for my life or could possibly use uh, me I have been there and I've done that in all of those areas and I know that we oftentimes even as believers in Christ we find ourselves wrestling with those things in our minds and so if that's where you find yourself this morning this story is for you there, there's a whole bunch of other ways I could relate this story to, to just say this that this is a story worth looking at and examining together this morning so I, I want us to to dive into this and, and look at this. Now, this is a man whose life was, was, um, was full of hatred and bitterness. It was a man who, who, who really just hated. I mean, when you look into the life of Saul, you just see a man who's bitter about life. You see a man who, who just didn't respect people whatsoever, and he, was, he just was infuriated uh, with, with what he was believing as untruth and so he, he went against it, man. I mean, he fought it tooth and nail. And so this is who we're looking at here. Uh, he, he's a man who caused a lot of suffering on people uh, who were following Jesus. Uh, and he's a man who we're going to see and talk about here a little bit that even led the way to Stephen's death. And so this is the man we're talking about. His name is Saul. And this is the story that we're going to look at. We're going to be looking at his testimony of life transformation. Read this with me, if you will. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, and the way was what they were oftentimes calling 
the Christians of that day. They were pointing to Christians and calling them the way. This movement of God, they would point out and they would call it the way because they were teaching that Jesus had declared for himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were saying, we have the way. And they did have the way in Christ Jesus. And so here, uh, Saul, he's saying, he says, I want to go after these people of the way. And so it says, now he went on his way and he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about, uh, from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have come has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Now this morning, I want to share with you how Jesus is our true salvation. I want to share with you how Jesus is our true salvation. My, my voice just cracked like a 14-year-old, didn't it? Where did that come from? Maybe I'm getting younger, I don't know. You start talking about Jesus and suddenly you say, Jesus, you know? Well, it kind of overtakes you there a little bit. But, but anyway, uh, so I want to talk to you about life transformation and how Jesus Christ is the source of this life transformation. And I hope, my prayer, is that we would walk out of here knowing today that Jesus is our true source of salvation. So that's where, that's the purpose of this message. That's where we want to go. That's what we want to establish through the preaching of the Word here this morning. And I want to do this by walking through one of the greatest stories of life transformation that I think we have ever read about or even heard even to this day. This is one of the most miraculous life transformation stories that you could ever imagine, especially when you take into consideration who this man was named Saul. 
And so I want to walk you through this testimony, if you will, this murderous Christ-hater, Christian-hater, family destroyer. This was the guy. He didn't care about Christians. He wanted to destroy the Christians, and so he came after them. And yet he finds himself on this road to Damascus being radically transformed by the presence and the power of Jesus in his own life. Now, if that won't just set you back, I don't know what does. I mean, this was not the day that Saul was looking for, was it? Saul had other things in mind as he approached Damascus, and yet as he came into this city, as he came into this town, Jesus met him on this road and radically transformed his life. And this morning, I want to share with you a few elements that we see in, in Saul's story or in his testimony, if you will, because I think all of these are important. Now, I wrote down 18 of them, okay? And I figured that there's no way we can go through 18, so I shortened it to, not, I shortened it to three, okay? So I want to give you three of them. If you want the rest of them, just shoot me an email and I'll get them to you. I mean, there's so much. I mean, we just read 18 verses. There's so much that we could talk about here today. But I want to offer to you a few things that I see here that I think are especially important for us to understand, not only as believers, but maybe someone who's sitting here today and wondering if this Jesus is for me, okay? And so let's look at this. Let's try to understand what it is that the Word of God is teaching us here this morning. So the first thing that we see the first thing I want to point out to you here is that when we look into the, the testimony of Saul, we see an encounter with the living God. We see an encounter with the living God. Now, this is hugely important, and I want to explain as we dive into this. But what happened to Saul, who later became Paul, is in a sense what happens to every one of us as believers in Christ Jesus. In other words, we hear about Jesus, we know about Jesus, but we soon encounter Jesus and by his power by his presence in our life the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we become disciples of Jesus and we are ushered into the family of God and so that's what we're wanting to sort of see here as we look at this but what we see here is a clear introduction an encounter by Jesus Christ himself as Saul is approaching this town this place called Damascus. In verse 5, we read these words. Now, he has is, he is walked in here, and, he, and he, he's, uh, Saul is blinded by this light, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says to him, this is what's really remarkable about this to me, is that Jesus says to Saul, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, here's what I really love about this story. Here's what I really love. Saul doesn't say a thing. Have you ever wondered about Saul's silence? Think about what just happened to him. Here's a guy who hates Christianity, who hates Christ himself, who's going to destroy as many Christians as he can, to disrupt as many families as he can. He's going in, he's blinded by light, he finds himself on the ground. Jesus comes and says, Oh, Saul, oh, buddy, oh, pal. And he goes, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. And Saul is speechless. I've never really wondered about this until I recently started preparing for this message. 
And I wondered why it is that Saul, an educated man, this was a man of, of higher education. This was a man of grand status and reputation uh, among the, the Jewish leaders of his day. This was a guy who had the credentials to go and to even see to it that Stephen would be stoned to death. This is a man who was able to get the permission to go into Damascus and round up as many Christians as he could. This was a, an educated man. This was a thinker. This was a man who was always pondering over life. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he's speechless. And I sat there and I read this story and I wondered, why is it that he would be so quiet? Why would he just get up, the scriptures tell us, and go into town accepting what he had been told? And then it dawned on me. You see, the, uh, Saul, this man, he already knew all about Jesus. In fact, he had heard the gospel on many occasions. He had heard the truth of the Christian. He's one of the ones that has already established them as the way. So obviously he's heard that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's heard the gospel being preached. In fact, when he is there at, stoning, at, at Stephen's stoning, Stephen is literally preaching the gospel to the people that would listen. He is preaching the gospel. He started all the way back in the Old Testament. He's walking through the gospel message of Christ. He's calling people to repentance. And it says that the people, they begin to be enraged by the word of God that was being preached by Stephen. And it says that they came over and they laid their garments at Saul's feet so they could then go and stone him to death, which is what they were doing. And so there he is in all of his authority watching the death of, of a Christian be killed after hearing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He was very familiar with the gospel of Christ. And so here's what we come to realize as we look at the testimony of Saul. We realize that this man knew an awful lot about Jesus. He had just never met him. He didn't know him. And we begin to sit and, and realize that there's a huge difference between just simply knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. In fact, there's a huge difference between those two I believe that today even today and and no doubt even in in Saul's day when, the, when Jesus walked on this earth there were a lot of people then as well but I believe today even more so there are a lot of people in this world who have heard the gospel news about Jesus they've heard the stories about Jesus maybe they grew up in church all their life they went to Sunday school they went to children's ministry they've heard the stories of Jesus Christ I'm convinced that a lot of people know about Jesus in this world a lot of people go to church that know about Jesus but they don't know him they just don't know him they've heard the gospel over and over and and and, and maybe they've rejected it or maybe they just simply not believe they they've sat there silently just being silent about this whole Christian thing but but there's I'm convinced there's a lot of people in our world and in our community and even maybe right here in our church that that know a lot about Jesus, but they just don't know Jesus. And I believe that the reason that Paul remained so silent when Jesus told him who he was is because the Apostle Paul already knew that something supernatural was taking place. I believe he already recognized it as something of God. 
He knew all the stories. He knew the truth. He knew the gospel of Jesus. And so when Jesus identified himself, he believed that his encounter with Jesus was real. He believed that Jesus was who Jesus was saying he was. What a powerful difference that had been made in the moment of Saul's life. This man who was persecuting so many people, killing so many people who hated Christianity, not easily persuaded by anyone, not persuaded by anyone, but Jesus. And so one of the things that we take away from this, this story, this testimony of Saul, is that it's so important for us to understand that it doesn't matter how much we know about Jesus if we have never encountered Jesus. We must understand that this morning, that salvation only comes from Christ, not what we know about Christ. And so that's the first thing that we sort of see here as we, as we look into the Scriptures. In Romans 10, 14, Paul was writing, Paul was writing to the, to the Romans. And remember, Paul was the one who was formerly Saul. His name's been changed. Now he's, he's out there. He's preaching the gospel himself. And as he's writing to the Roman church, he writes these words. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear about without someone preaching? Preaching what? Preaching the gospel. And I almost wonder what it was that Paul was going through Paul's mind when he wrote those words, when he penned those words, when he was, he was thinking of, of this reality that for us, we, it is so important that we hear the gospel message. We've got to hear the truth about Jesus before we can experience Jesus. And so he, he's talking about that reality in everyone's life. But I almost wonder as he wrote those words, he says he was, if he was maybe thinking, I heard about Jesus for so long in my life. So that when I met him, I knew him. So that when I met him, I knew him. The second thing I want to point out here, and this is really interesting to me as well, is that it's important for us to know that in his testimony, there was communion with the living God. First of all, there was an encounter with the living God, and then there was communion with the living God. And by communion, I don't mean you know, they broke bread together and they passed the cup around. I'm not talking about like us taking, partaking the Lord's Supper like we do here. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, when I say communion, I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about unified fellowship and intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what I'm talking about here. And so uh, I don't want you to be confused by that. But, but what we see that is so amazing that points or indicates to this true life change, this true transformation of life is Paul's response to what has just happened in his life. Remember the story. Saul is blinded, and, and now he's met Jesus. And it says that the men who were silenced by all of this, they picked him up, and they led him into the city. And it's here that we continue to see the rest of the story. And it says here in verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple named uh, a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... He said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus 
named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now, I want you to look at that phrase right there, and I want you to, if you, if you want to, in your Bible, underline that phrase, he was praying. You know, for years I've read the book of Acts. I've read through it many times, and in reading through the book of Acts, I've, I've no doubt read that verse, I don't know how many times, where, you know, he went back and he began to pray, and it never struck me the importance of this prayer that Saul was experiencing until I prepared for this message. But here you have a man who is a part of a religious organization. In fact, he was a leader in a religious organization, and no doubt he was a praying man. But what's different about him praying this time is now he is spending time with Jesus. Now his prayers are totally changed. His life has been radically changed. His worship is on something much different than it was the day before. This is a guy who met Jesus, and now that he spends time in prayer, he is in communion with the holy and righteous Savior of his life. He is praying differently. He is living differently. He is walking differently. He is, he is just different in every aspect of his life. He is now a follower of Christ Jesus. He is the disciple of the Lord. And so I can only imagine how different his prayer life must have been. As he went into Damascus and he fell on his face, there is a man who is humbled by everything that has just happened in his life. This is a man who is used to having control over his life. This is a man who is used to having control over other people's lives. And suddenly he found himself humbled and on his knees before an almighty God who he has come to realize is the truth of salvation for his life and for the world. And so here this man named Saul is now praying to God, but his prayers are much different than they ever have been before. Here's a man that in his prayers this time loves Jesus. Communion, relationship, intimacy with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now look at that and I wonder wonder about that because I, I think as an indicator of, of true life change, you know, it, it just, I wonder, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me. His worship had changed. The object of his worship had changed. Saul is a man who is no longer living his life like he used to be. I told you this was a miraculous transformation. That is what has taken place here, and his prayer here is like the, the breath of newborn babies. You know, have you ever thought about babies when they come into this world and they take their first breath? Nobody taught them. That's not the first lesson that mommy teaches them. Okay, baby, breathe. They come out and they are hungry for a breath. They come out and they breathe for the first time because that is what they want more than anything else in this world. And I look at Saul's prayer in this moment in his life, and there was nothing more he would rather be doing than spending time with God, than communing with Jesus Christ, his Savior. Powerful. Powerful. John MacArthur in one of his commentaries, he wrote these words. He says, Paul used to pray the prayers of a Pharisee. He used to pray 
the legalistic prayers of one who thought he was righteous in his own way. Now he prays in blind, helpless dependency. This is the transformed life that cries out to God. This indicates a real transformation. I wonder here this morning how many of us have that intimate relationship with God where what we desire more than anything else in our world is communion with a holy and righteous Savior. How many of us are spending time in prayer in a way that would even begin to reflect the same type of way that Paul or Saul in this case is praying? I don't believe that there's anything that authenticates true salvation like prayerful communication with Jesus. There's nothing that authenticates our relationship with Jesus like prayer. Nothing. If we have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, we are people of prayer. And so here we see these two things. The last one I want to point out here as we wrap this thing up is this, is that in this, in this passage, we also see, and I love this. There was, like I said, there were literally about eight things I wanted to share with you this morning, and I realized you would not put up with that, okay? So uh, I, I figured we'd come in here and we'd just make it a day of it, but uh, then I had second thoughts, and I, I, I thought I'd like to return next Sunday. So anyway, um, but so I had to narrow it down to about three of these, but this one, this one I just couldn't leave out because I just thought it was so powerful. But, but in this passage, we see fellowship within a new family. And I believe this is one of the most powerful that I, that I recognized in this text as I was preparing for this message. We see fellowship within a new family. I want to show you something that's truly amazing here. Uh, do you remember Ananias' response when the Lord told him to go speak to Saul? So here's this, this believer. He's a disciple. He's a, a young disciple of Jesus. He, I mean, man, he's living for Jesus. But in their day, they're kind of hiding from the religious leaders too because there's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of arrests being made. And everybody knows who Saul is. Everybody knows who this guy is. And so the Lord comes to Ananias and says, hey, I got a task for you. I want you to go and meet with this guy named Saul. You may have heard of him, right? And Ananias says, I'm not sure that's your best idea, God. I mean, you got some good ones, but I'm not sure that's your best ever. I'm, I'm going to mark it down as not, Okay. I don't like the tone of that one at all. I mean, you can see there's a little bit of, of resistance here. But what's amazing about Ananias is he does go. He does respond in faithfulness. I believe Ananias here, this guy, is probably one of the unsung heroes of our faith right here. He's the guy that's responsible for going and helping the scales fall off of, of uh, Saul's eyes as he encounters Saul. But look at this passage with me, if you will. In verse 13, it says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And so Ananias, he says this. He says, he even has a letter. He has authority to arrest us if we go and talk about you to him. He says, this isn't a good idea. But we continue reading, and it says in verse 17, so Ananias departed, and he entered the house. So he went. A brave man, a man of faith, a man of courage, a man who was willing to do what it was, whatever it took, whatever God was calling him to do. 
to go and be faithful. And so he departed, entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road by which you have come, has sent me also that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and he was baptized. Now, did you catch the significance of that text? Ananias was the enemy to Saul. Saul was an evil man. The Lord comes to Ananias and he says, but you don't, you don't understand. You see, this guy is someone who is going to be used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. This is a guy who's going to go out. He's going to proclaim the gospel to many. He's going to go out to the Gentiles. He's going to go out to the Jews. He's going to go out and he's going to proclaim truth in my name. He's going to, there's going to be many people who come to know Jesus because of this man. This is what the Lord tells Ananias. And what we see, which is so incredible to me, Ananias' response, after he sort of got over this, well, this is a dangerous mission, he goes over, and one of the coolest things to me is that he lays hands on him, and he says, Saul, brother. That's a powerful word. Now, he's not using brother like we use brother today I, I you know in our culture today we call everybody brother don't we i mean you know it's like what's up brother not much brother you know i mean it could be a drug dealer can you point that gun somewhere else brother you know i mean it's you know i mean we we call everybody brother nowadays it, it doesn't really have me we've even shortened it if we're in a hurry we call it bro or if we if we want to shorten bro we get it on down to bro right what's up bro you know that, this ain't what's happening here. I mean, Ananias, he's not, he's not walking in, giving him all sorts of I-5s and stuff. He's not just greeting him like, what's up, bro? Be easy on the persecution. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening. Ananias is walking in, and he's acknowledging Saul as a brother in Christ Jesus. He says, you belong to a family that you didn't used to belong to. You've been ushered into the family of God. You are a child of God. He is identifying Saul as something he has never been before. He doesn't walk in and say, hey, man, take it easy. God sent me. He just walks in and he says, you're my brother. He said it in the same way that, that I would say here today, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my brother. You're my sister. He means it. And so what we see here is something that, is, that comes with this radical transformation. These people who are now unified by the blood of Christ, by the presence of Christ, by the almighty work of Jesus in their life, by the supernatural transformative work of Jesus in a person's life has made them brothers. This is powerful. 
Maybe some of you are in here this morning and you're, you're sensing a spirit of, of loneliness. Maybe that's been a, an emotion you've experienced for too long in your life. Well, my friends, you have friends here in Jesus. We are family. That's why when we get up here in the, from the pulpit and we declare ourselves a faith family, those aren't, that's not just words we're just loosely throwing out there. There's significance in that phrase. We are a, a faith family. And Ananias is walking into this room and he says to him, he says, laying hands on him, brother Saul. Spiritual transformation creates such drastic changes in us and even in our relationships. Through Christ Jesus, we are now belonging to something so much greater than just ourselves. Ephesians 2, verse 18 and 20, it says this. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's who we are together through Christ Jesus. And so what we take away from this testimony of Saul, what is it that we take away? We take away that that it's more than just knowing about Jesus. It begins with knowing Jesus, right? With having a, a real encounter with Jesus. We cannot just be simply someone who knows about Jesus. We must know Jesus. That one of the indicators of our faith is true communion with Jesus. We don't get an attaboy and walk out of church and that's that. We're walking with the Savior. We are communing with the Savior. We are fellowshipping under His righteousness and His love. And the, Spirit, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit has bound us together with Jesus. And like the breath of a baby, we long for those intimate moments with Him. And finally, it's not just about what Jesus is doing in our life. It's about what Jesus wants us to do together as one you know I was riding in this morning I was coming in and uh, I, was, I was just driving along and and thinking about you know this being the first Sunday of the new year and you know and I, I was driving in it just just kind of a kind of a blah ride I mean it wasn't like anything spiritual I wish I could tell you, you know, man this amazing thing happened it was just you know I was trying to get the ice off my windshield is what I was trying to do and um and I thought why do we go to church I don't know where that question came from, except for if maybe I was just supposed to share it with you this morning, but a thought popped in my head, why are we coming to church? I wasn't like bitter about coming to church, and I knew I needed to come to church because 
you know, I want to I want to remain your pastor, and if I don't show up for work, I guess you know that that'd be the end of that, you know. So I mean, you know, I need to come to church, but why do we come to church? Why do you come to church? Why are you gathered with us this morning? What is it? What is your purpose for being here? I mean, do you just enjoy the show, or is there something more than that? Is there? I hope my prayer is as we wrap this thing up, I, I pray that it's because of what we just read, that you, you recognize that there is something God's doing not only in your life as an individual, but, but within us together, corporately, as a body, as a faith family, as a household, and that we belong together, and that the deepest desires of our heart would be to spend that intimate time with Christ to worship Jesus with all that we have, but to be with our brothers and our sisters. To gather here together so that we can be here for one another only to scatter out into the community where we take with us the greatest message that was ever told. And you say, well, Pastor David, I don't remember the story. I don't know if I could recount the story you just told us. I'm not talking about that story. I'm talking about your story. Your story. Your story. You know what Jesus did in your life. You don't know just about him. You know him. And so we gather. We love on one another. We're brought together for a greater purpose. But we, we also go out into this world to share the greatness of Jesus Christ. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've, if you've got a decision to make or if you want to spend some time praying with one of our pastors, I'll be on this side. Pastor Gabe's on this side. Ethan's on this side. There's several of us here that can pray with you. You want to come to this altar and just spend time with God and, 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 and say to God, I don't know when the last time you, 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 you spent time with God and just prayed and said, God, thank you for being God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, for, thank you God, for the reality that, that God, even when I don't find myself really loving you, you never stop loving me. I don't know, something like that. Maybe you just want to worship God in prayer. Maybe you want to just stand and sing with your heart the lyrics of the next song that we're going to sing and, and offer your praises to Jesus in those regards. Or maybe you just want to remain seated and just think about... Just think about Jesus. But in this moment, in this next moment, you have the freedom to do whatever it is that you feel like you need to do I want to invite you to worship God. Whether it's through prayer, through song, or through meditation, or whatever. Let us celebrate Jesus. Let us celebrate that He's our true salvation. Let us celebrate life transformation.